Please be seated. Uh, kindergarten through grade four. There is junior church, so thank you for staying and singing the hymn with us. But now you may go downstairs. I believe most of you know who I am. Uh, my name is Joe Griffoni. What you may not know is that I am an electrical engineer by training. Uh, so I've had the privilege since 1990 to work on a myriad of engineering projects. Uh, a lot of it involves numbers, as you probably guess. People say engineers like numbers, right? It's not so much that we like numbers, is that numbers carry information, and we need that information. And so when the numbers are not precise, we lose confidence in the outcome of what we're working on. And it's the same with words. Words carry information, they carry meaning. So word choice is important. And as I said, to a lesser extent, I've written documents on how to get something built or end user documents, how to operate a piece of gear. And who here has not experienced a manual on something you bought that was probably written in another language, translated and no one bothered to proofread it? Yeah, it's, it reduces your confidence in whether you can get something running, right? So why do I tell you all this? I tell you this because when I hear the word relationship used to describe how the Lord and the church are connected, I'm left with a slight dissatisfied feeling. Now the statement is absolutely true that we must be in a relationship with the Lord. I'm just saying that we have a more precise picture to share with you and that we should know if we're going to use that word. You see, the word relationship, when we speak of our Lord, I believe must be predicated on three things. These are justification, adoption, and sanctification. And don't worry, we're going to define these if you don't know what they are. But again, I want to make myself clear. There's nothing wrong with saying that we need to be in a relationship with the Lord. My only concern is it might engender a casualness that we have to be careful with. Um, yeah, it's a broad term. And let me... Let me just share why I think it's a broad term. For example, I have a relationship with my supervisor at work. Now, he's a Christian, which is fantastic. But he has not justified me. He has not adopted me into his family. And although we're both brothers in Christ, we're not helping each other along with our sanctification process. I mean, maybe we should, but we're not. We love our pets. A lot of people talk about their relationship with their pets and they're very upset when the pet gets sick and certainly heartbroken and shed tears when the pet dies. All reasonable, but this is not the relationship we're talking about either. Now I have a relationship with my lovely wife, Carol. This is a marriage. And what does Paul say about this? He says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And I'm speaking about a mystery, Paul says. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Well, there's something of death. Are you thinking that when you say we need a relationship with God? Maybe you should. Maybe you do. All right, before we enter the scripture, I'd like to um, just open with a little bit of prayer. 
And um, my friend in the booth, if you could just back this down a little. You hearing me in there, bro? <laughs> Ivor, I feel a little hot. Is it me? It seems bright. Thanks, buddy. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you. Ivor, I'm speaking in the microphone. I'm sorry. The microphone seems a little hot, not the lights. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have used that term. <laughs> Let's pray, friends. Okay. Father, we do humble ourselves before you once again as we gather to worship and think through how you relate to your church. If there is anything that is not correct in this message today, Lord, please let it fall to the ground and be forgotten by your people. But any truths that are shared, may they bring honor to Christ. Amen. All right. If you would turn with me now to Esther, chapter 4, verse 11. Just one verse. Now, I didn't, I'm not going to give you the page number in your pew Bible because I think it's, it's a fun exercise once in a while to see if we can navigate through the scriptures, okay? So middle of the Old Testament you find Psalms and Proverbs, or maybe you'll grab Job if you dump into the middle, and go left. The first book you'll find before Job, small book, Esther. And while you're digging, let me give you the analogy I'm looking to share with you. It's a very imperfect analogy, so bear with me, but understand what's being said here. Esther and her husband, the king's name is Ahasuerus, if you think of a dinosaur when you hear that, I certainly did the first time I read it. The relationship with Esther and the king is close to the relationship between the people outside of the church and God. There's something dynamic there. And I just want you to look for a couple things. One is she can't approach the king unless she's called. It's interesting. There's another thing too. She didn't choose the king. The king chose her. Let's just read it, shall we? These are um, the words of the Lord, uh, Queen Esther speaking. 4.11, Esther 4.11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that they are justified, and we will define that, in his eyes. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord, in Jeremiah 30, 21. That's sobering, isn't it? Now let's look at the other side, the part that we like a lot more. Let's, let's look at the relational things that Jesus has to say. Uh, if you turn with me, please, to John 15, 9 through 17. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Easy to find. Hear the word of the Lord. And listen now for relational type words. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus speaking. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are now my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in his name, in my name, he says, he will give it to you. So these things I command you, that you love one another. God's word achieves the purpose for it is sent. There could be hours and hours of preaching on that. But what I just want to pull out is how important justification and adoption and sanctification is to the term relationship. Now many of you do study the Bible, and I applaud you. And some of you even have a devotional book that you probably use in the morning where some, some theologian has written something to magnify a portion of scripture for you every morning. And that's an excellent thing. If you're doing that, I applaud you. I want to introduce you, if you don't know this already, this is the Westminster Larger Catechism. I recommend you consider using this for your devotional time. As my son so quickly uh, said to me when I told him what I was going to speak about, Dad, that's not the inerrant word of God. Okay. You're right. This is not your Bible. But everything that is said in here is rooted in the scriptures. There are two lines, sometimes three at most, thoughts for every morning, if you wish. And then if you don't think it's right, there are pages that follow that show where the scripture supports what it says. And I have to tell you, this has been so useful for me. This church, I've been in Bible studies many times where doctrinal questions come up. And I've been in elders' meetings where doctrinal questions come up. And I say, whoa, whoa, it's covered. We could try to reinvent the wheel, and I'm not saying we shouldn't think for ourselves, but let's hear what people over the years have come down upon. This was compiled in 1648, sounds like a long time ago, but please remember, your Bible is older than that, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I think I've sold it for you, I hope. The first tenet of the three tenets I want to share is justification. So, question 72 in the Westminster Catechism. What is justification? I couldn't say it better myself, so I won't. Justification is a saving grace done in the heart of the sinner by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. See how important it is that we're in the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit. The sinner being convinced of his sin and the disability of himself and any other creature to recover him out of this condition not only assents to the truth and the promises of the gospel but receives Christ as Lord and rests upon his righteousness and not our own. In this way he is found on account of Christ to be righteous in the sight of God for salvation. Simply put, justification is to be found covered in Christ's righteousness. Okay? For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So a little bit more review, because I think sometimes, like any sport, you've got to get back to the basics if you want to succeed. Sin is the transgression of God's word. And we have learned through the scriptures that everyone has fallen short in this area. Nobody 
lives up to the glory of God. And what's more, the wages, the penalty, the, pay, the price to pay for sin is death. Now everybody dies, fine. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a term you don't often hear. It's called damnation. It's called eternal separation from the Lord. It's called weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't want to pay that price. Right? Sin. Here's the good news. Jesus, fully God and fully man, never sinned, so he could be the perfect, sinless sacrifice for man's sin. So Jesus willingly took that sin that he never committed, and he died once, effectively satisfying the wages of sin, the payment of sin, the penalty of sin, gone. That's not on you. Thanks be to God. So, in so doing, he conquered sin. What else did he do? He conquered death by rising from the dead. So we die to sin and we rise in Christ. This is for us. Is this beautiful or is this beautiful? I don't think there's any other option. So I, I ask, tell you, trust in this grace. And then you are justified before God. Okay? I hope justification is clear now. If so, you have entered into a relationship with the Lord marked by love. Marked by love. Friends, God loved us first. And so we respond in love, as we see in our scriptures, to love God and love our neighbor. Granted, we all have to work at it, but that is the response. We're not earning our salvation. We are returning the love the best we know how. Now, I will postulate that there are relationships in this world that are not based in any way on love. And that's a critical detail that the term relationship just does not filter out. Second tenant, adoption. All right, question number 74 in the Westminster Catechism. What is adoption? Well, guess what? I think you might find this actually interesting, especially the opening line. Adoption is an act of God's grace. No surprise there. And it is in and for his son, Jesus Christ. I thought adoption was for me. Well, listen to how the glory of God works. It's for his glory. Adoption is an act of the grace of God in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified, now that we know what that is, are received into the number of his children, and they have their name put on them, his name put on them, sorry, the spirit of his son given to them, and they are under his fatherly care and dispensations. They are given all the liberties and privileges of sonship and therefore are made heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, of all the promises, fellow heirs with Christ in glory. This is the relationship. This is the adoption. Cliff notes. Any relationship with the Father is going to be marked by this unmerited welcoming into the family by adoption. We are not naturally born into the kingdom. The Lord grafts us in. He handles the legal steps to make us the adopted children. Through this, we are now part of a holy and eternal living hope and inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will never fade away. Now I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole. 
I learned this from Jim McDonald. It's brief, I promise. It's not a deep one. Notice the word sonship used in the context of liberty, privilege, heir, promises. I want to speak about that just for a moment. Back in the day when the scriptures were written, the firstborn son would receive a double portion of the inheritance. And the next son, well, he got one portion. And if there was another son, one portion. But the first son would often get a double portion. And as for the daughters, well, you married into a family where that man would share his inheritance. He was supposed to honor, cherish, live for you, and love you, and share his inheritance. What Jesus is saying here is you are all sons. What he's not talking about is your gender. Okay, in a gender-crazed world, the message he's saying is, I'm telling you, you are all the same heirs in Christ. So ladies, if you hear that you are a son, Embrace that because it's a beautiful thing. You are heirs just like everyone else. It's positional and not gender. All you guys, we are the bride. Okay, I'm all right with that. I'm the bride. You, well, I'm one of the bride. The whole church is the bride. All you ladies and gentlemen, we are the bride. Jesus is the groom. Oh yeah, that's good news. That's nothing to get worried about or stomp your feet and say, what the heck? No, it's good. It's all good. All right, back up and out of the hole. The last tenet. Sanctification. This one's a little different. It's a continuous process. But it is still all of God with a little bit of our cooperation. Interesting one here. Back to the Westminster Catechism. Question number 75. What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's grace. No surprise again. Thank you, Lord. Sanctification is a work of God's grace where God has chosen those to be holy before the foundation of the world. I can't rush over that. God has chosen us to be holy before the foundation of the world. Through the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ, renewing the whole person after the image of God, having repentance unto life. These saving graces increase and strengthen in time, allowing the Christian to more and more die to sin and rise in newness of life. Be sure to catch this. You are being renewed into the image of God without all the stains. That's the direction you should be headed. If you're not experiencing that or you think you're somehow not going the right direction, that just means it's time to pray. It's time to reflect. Because that's exactly God's plan for you. So you lean into the Holy Spirit and He will sanctify you. Lean into the church, okay? Because we bolster you. So the Holy Spirit is doing the work in you, but we are involved. And I can't explain that very well. Pastor Boylan is in the back, and I'll let him expound on that later if you have further questions. As we walk with our Lord, we must die to sin. And we avoid sin and more through continuous repentance. That's sanctification. And I believe those are the three tenets that make up a relationship with the Lord.
So the next time you want to use the word relationship to describe the connection between the Lord and the church, make sure you do it some justice. And if you're an engineer like me, you might say, make sure you're precise. Let's speak about our justification before God. Let's speak about our adoption into the family. And let's speak our, about our walk in Him. That's our sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we did not choose you, but you chose us from the beginning of time. What is this relationship that you have wrought but a holy covenant? And we didn't even begin to plumb the depths today of this holy bond that you have formed with your church, the beloved. A union that is yet to be fully experienced and consummated on the day our Lord Jesus returns to gather up his bride. You have made propitiation for our sins and clothed us in your son's righteousness, our justification. You have made us your own in the adoption into holy sonship. And you are leading us into a purity as we walk in your spirit, sanctifying us through love and teaching and even painful trials. Well, may our eyes be open to your greatness, Lord, your love and the profundity of your blessings. For you do not leave us in spiritual poverty.